And it's interesting that just within the last uh, week of uh, us recording this, um, National Grid has changed the way that they are looking to model batteries at transmission system level uh, by essentially modeling batteries as zero megawatts, uh, which is going to radically change uh, the way that uh, transmission uh, reinforcements are modeled. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. I'm Pete Aston, uh, one of the connectologists with Road Knight Taylor, and uh, I'm joined today by Philip Bale and uh, Nikki Pillinger. So why don't you say hi, folks? Hi, uh, Nikki here. Hi. Excellent. Nice. Thank you for uh, joining us. So um, Christmas is just around the corner, um, and Christmas is a time when we like to receive and give gifts. Um, now, what we're thinking about today is what would we like for Christmas for the network? So what network treats would we like for Christmas? So I'm going to go um, over to Philip and Nikki in a minute and ask them what they would like for Christmas for the electricity networks in Great Britain. Uh, I'm going to kick off with something while they're thinking about what they're going to ask for uh, and what I would like for Christmas for the networks is some more engineers in the network companies, in the DNOs and uh, in the transmission companies so that um, we can have uh, more engineers, more time devoted to um, the applications that's going in, more time devoted to uh, the reinforcement studies being done on the network. And I think it would just free up um, a lot of hassle and make things flow a lot better. So that's my first offering for what I would really like uh, to have for Christmas. So um, let's go over to Philip. Philip, have you got any Christmas presents that you would like on the network? I have a similar one to you, Pete, but I would almost go one step further. I'd hope that the DNO and transmission planners understand that they're the gatekeepers to the future of the low carbon development for the UK and that they can be proud of the important role that they do um, for them, but also not just for them to have more, but to have the headspace to do the amazing things that we know they can do. They can also have the clear tools and understanding to allow them to get things connected quickly and effectively. So that's one of the things that's on my wish list. Brilliant. Uh, let's go over to Nikki. And by the way, we can have uh, lots of present requests. There's no, there's no limits on the present requests uh, for this uh, for this podcast, at least. Anyway, Nikki, what's what's your first uh, thing that you would like on your wish list for Christmas? So I suppose to follow on from what Philip said, uh, in terms of the DNOs having that um, that headspace in order to actually figure out how we can run the networks differently and how we can get more things connected quicker. Um, I would love them to have more ability to, to sort of share information across DNOs. So many, there's so many amazing projects and, and innovation schemes going on within the DNOs. And, and while the Open Networks project is, a, is kind of a facility for sharing them, they all have different challenges. And we almost have this sort of false sense of competition between the DNOs, which I've never found very helpful. So actually having that ability to, um, to, to have conversations about the different challenges that they're facing uh, as an example, so uh, WPD, now uh, now NGED, um, they uh, sort of bore the brunt of the renewables revolution in the early days, and they came up with some uh, some brilliant uh, techniques for actually managing that and for managing the impact of so many new renewables on their network. And obviously up in Scotland, we had the, the wind revolution up there, and so sort of every DNO has its challenges, and I feel like if they could sort of collaborate a little bit more 
and really appreciate what everyone's going through. I feel like that would uh, that would really speed up the process and and, and the learning for every for everyone. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? That sort of the idea that um, Ofgem like to promote around competition between the different network companies. Um, yet at the same time, lots of lots of customers. Um, us included would like some more consistency between them. So I think it's, I don't know, I, I find it quite a challenge to try and work out, you know, what, what you should leave to competition uh, and difference and innovation, you know, from a business point of view and what you should then have as sort of, uh, you know, co common common ways of doing things. But yeah, I think it's great, um, Nikki, on just that that sharing. Um, and yeah, I think I agree with you as well, for just that headspace for, for those uh, engineers to actually um, do, do what they really want to do and sort of design the network um, really effectively and really well. Um, so that's, I, I guess that's a couple of uh, Christmas presents around the idea of uh, you know, resourcing um, within the, the DNOs. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll pop back to you, Philip, rather than me doing the second one first. So any, any uh, more Christmas presents that you'd like uh, on the network, Philip? Okay, so one of the things that I'd like to see is proper strategy at a distribution level across multiple different parts of the UK, there's going to be clear demand growth. And I really want people to think is, what is the strategy for realizing that demand growth? What work should be funded ahead of need? Where should the DNOs be purchasing the land for future substations? Where should they be getting planning permission together ahead of need? How do they think about the joined up thinking, which then means it'd be best for all customers so that then it can link into both cost-effective schemes for both demand customers and for generation customers. That's one of the things that will be on my Christmas list for 2023. Okay, and follow-up question, Philip. Do you think the DNOs should be allowed to do reinforcement ahead of need? Something that Ofgem have generally pushed back against, but is that something that you think is sensible or you wouldn't go quite that far or, or, it's a, or is that a really good idea? In some areas, I think at the moment we are looking at trying to identify things in pots as to when people should do things does it fit as part of a demand pot a generation pot an asset replacement pot i think there is elements of if you're replacing an asset in an area where there's obvious demand growth it should clearly be replaced big enough for the future if you've got a scheme where you have a justification from a generation customer but you can see there's a very high likelihood that it's also needed from a demand customer i think there should be a mechanism of sharing that cost to make it more effective because it's in everyone's interest for reinforcement to happen in the logical areas or even if it doesn't go as far as actually being done ahead of need making sure the dnos are ready for it so that reinforcement can be done quickly and effectively yeah agreed super thank you philip okay nikki christmas present number two what would you like to see for christmas for the network so i suppose to follow on from what philip said is to have a little bit more support from sort of central government and policy for dnos so i think probably due to the the misconception of of what national grid actually is uh and a lot of the people so i, I say to people oh yeah we, we connect into uh in, into the dno network they'll say oh what's that don't we just have a national grid it's like yeah we do have a national grid but it's uh, it's kind of a theoretical concept um, so National Grid as a company obviously owns the transmission network and then we've got all of the, the DNOs that then own the distribution network, which is actually where we've put most of our renewable, um, most of our renewable energy. So for the DNOs to actually have more, um, more headspace and more support from central government, they also need that funding. So the recent um, Rio ED2 submissions from the DNOs actually saw a 20% on average cut uh, across the board from what the DNOs asked for and, and that was quite conservative in terms of what they wanted to spend money on. 
but we've got um, a, a lot of national policy focused on national grids. We've got the holistic network design, which is really positive, but it's not really focusing on where we can actually make quite a lot of difference quite quickly. You know, offshore wind farms are going to take 10, 15 years to build. And, and while we need them, we also need to be able to, to enable those sort of those further local energy uh, sort of energy revolutions. OK, so like that su- support from government. So, Nikki, follow up question for me again. Would you support uh, renationalisation of the electricity industry and putting you on the spot now, Nikki? Um, personally, no, I would not support that. And uh, for various different reasons, I think it's it's probably more efficient, uh, the, 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 the model that we have now, yeah. um, in terms of having a private network and it actually being run as a private entity. Um, you know, I wasn't alive when nationalisation was a thing, um, but um, that it didn't seem to be uh, as as efficient as it could be. But I think the the very very strict government control on private funding can be quite quite damaging due to a, a maybe a lack of understanding in terms of what we actually need, in terms of what we're going to have to do. You know, wh- whenever I speak to people about what I do, um, most people think, oh, you know, that that must be really, you know, that's really needed, that's really important. You know, you must you know that that must be a really really uh, really rewarding thing to to do to be able to connect all those renewable energies into the network and and it is but it's got exponentially more difficult to do that and especially over the last one to two years when we obviously now we have um all of these sort of transmission constraints it's very very challenging to actually get any of that done and i think that will probably be be more challenging if it was a, a nationalized industry with maybe a, a source of funding that had a, a, a much uh, a much more diminished understanding of what that industry actually needed yeah okay thanks nikki so um i need to go now from my second network christmas present i think what i would like to see uh, is the dno's modeling batteries in a more realistic way um so currently the dno's will model battery imports at peak demand times and they'll model batteries exporting at peak generation times which is sort of worst case scenario for the network um, and probably quite unrealistic as well Uh, and it's interesting that just within the last uh, week of uh, us recording this um, national grid has changed the way that they are looking to model batteries at transmission system level uh, by essentially modeling batteries as zero megawatts uh, which is going to radically change uh, the way that uh, transmission uh, reinforcements are modelled. Um, and into 2023, we're going to see the effect of that sort of as um, connection offers are revised. And it'd be great to see the DNOs um, picking up on that and sort of uh, taking the example from National Grid and following on with uh, different ways of um, modelling batteries. And I know, Philip, the, the modelling of uh, the sort of output of generators is something that you've done quite a bit of through active network management modeling and so on have have you got any thoughts as to um what the remodeling of 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 batteries might look like when it comes to a dno level is it is it going to be zero megawatts like they've done at transmission or might it be something similar uh, or you know not quite as extreme it's a great question and i think ultimately the dnos will probably continue to be slightly more pessimistic the national grid has been because there's not as much diversity because their assets don't have quite as much thermal inertia. I think it's a piece of work which definitely needs more work being done on them. I would hope that we can get a very clear and concise answer so that 
the main answer, or for me, the main answer is that customers need to understand what assumptions the DNOs are using. And I think also DNOs need to understand what customers really want that are commercially driven. And then between that, I think we will get to an assumption that batteries may well import for short periods of time at higher demand period, but it would be unlikely and unusual. And as long as those can be understood, I think we can avoid a lot of that distribution system reinforcement that's also been triggered. I think it's a case of understanding the steady state, so the normal import-export different time periods, understanding the step change, so how quickly they ramp from import to export and when that occurs, whether there's risks of them all happening at exactly the same time. My gut tells me they'll probably come up with something that says around a 50% period of time and for no longer than a certain set period. And I think as long as they can be clear and transparent, potentially a little bit pessimistic to start with, but an understanding that that might well change towards the future, I think that will be in everyone's interest rather than the current very, very pessimistic assumption, both on thermal import and export for storage and also for step change. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. We're going to think around our third Christmas present now. Um, I was just going to come to you, Nikki. Um, Nikki, I know that in the in the past you've done lots and lots of um, connection applications um, through through various different uh, companies you've worked for, uh, sort of electric vehicles, solar, uh, and so on. And I, I guess uh, you've seen some some good things and bad things about the connections processes. Is there anything within the connections process, Nikki, that you think would be amazing if it could be sort of changed anything you know small changes or big changes i don't know thinking around you know the way the queue works across distribution and transmission for example or, or you know or anything else that comes to your mind you have you got any thoughts around that sort of side of things um yes certainly so i suppose from my perspective um one of my sort of gripes with the the connection process is we have quite a lot of emphasis put on that initial uh, application uh, stage and then a connection offer stage. And then we don't really, once we've accepted an offer, we don't then have a huge amount of um, sort of statutory requirements for that. You know, once you put in a connection application, the DNO then has 90 days to come back and, uh, and, and, and give you a connection offer. But beyond that, there's not really any time scales in which something has to be done by, um, which does make it quite challenging when you're trying to sort of hold, hold DNOs to account, I suppose, in terms of their delivery timescales. Obviously, they're tremendously under-resourced at the moment. But I think what I would quite like to see is maybe less of a focus on that initial um, connection offer and application phase and more of a focus on actually getting these projects delivered. Um, obviously, as you say, in terms of queue, queue management, so we've uh, got a bit of an issue at the moment where our, our transmission and our distribution queues don't exactly link up. And we've also got enormous distribution uh, connection queues. So part of what the DNOs are doing at the moment is actually going through their current connection offers and contacting customers to see, you know, who is genuinely going to build and who isn't. And 
that's that's a very challenging thing because while we have milestones in offers they're not particularly realistic in there and they never have been really especially for for much larger scale projects so actually having that that pragmatism and that practicality within dnos to know you know who is going to build who is going to be serious about building i think that's a, that's quite challenging but that needs to be to be done right and uh, you know developers have to be held to account here in terms of what they're actually doing with projects as much as dnos that's also challenging because we've had um, quite long uh, submissions for statement of works uh, applications and uh, project progressions and, and mod apps so we've had developers having to wait up to up to two years to actually hear when their transmission connection date is so it's uh, it is challenging on, on on both sides really to um to, to hold hold each other to account and actually actually progress projects in a, a timely manner yeah I reckon that was at least two or three present requests there, Nikki. Um, but that's that's fine. Uh, just just following up on that, Nikki, do you, do you see any um, any justification for a a, a GB wide queue that has all distribution and transmission connections in the same queue? Uh, and if so, you know why and how? You know, are there any pros and cons with that that, that way of thinking about things? Um, I think it's certainly something that we need, and it's it's, it's only really be ha been hampered in the in the past by transmission potentially not needing queues as much as distribution has done. Yeah. Um, and and also those we're having to see a lot more um, projects go through to to modification applications and project progression than we ever did. So it's it's made you know I, I can't believe that it's taken people completely by surprise. Uh, but in terms of of the transmission queue, it hasn't really. It hasn't been so much of an issue before. Can I jump in there quickly? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, of course. Nikki, I think that's a great request in terms of your present one. I would tweak it slightly, though. It's Christmas after all. I think that the there's always more projects that get applied for than ever get built out. Projects are incredibly complicated, and it needs someone with a holistic vision to see that it requires grid, it requires planning, it requires, it requires so many different aspects to make a project work. Um, and at the moment, the risk is all sits with each of the individual developers. So what the UK wants is the best projects to get connected. So it's most cost effective for the UK so that ultimately we get the best mix of different generation and storage projects, which will allow us to achieve more demand coming from low carbon sources. I think there's a way that we can resolve the risk being on the developers to smearing the risk a little bit more so that the best projects have the confidence that if they put a good project in certain areas within certain remits and parameters that the grid won't be a blocker and so that they don't have to try and guess whether the 20 projects ahead of them are all going to go ahead or not with having no visibility of that that ultimately they have some financial security that means they can continue to develop their project in that area, knowing in the very unlikely event, everyone connects, that something will be done to unlock and keep the constraints down to a certain cap. And then in the likely scenario in 95, nearly 98% of times where they don't, that actually that risk won't come to fruition. And that I think would really radicalize the amount of schemes that can connect in the speed and including from a national grid perspective, Projects at the moment are being forced to wait until they get that response from the mod app, from the DNOs to the national grid. There just needs to be a cut so that projects can continue to develop, continue to go through, 
and a commercial mechanism similar to what you would see at transmission level, that if you turn around and have this big significant issue, that something can be done about it, that there can be some compensation that means that a project won't suddenly die or go bust. Um, it's quite revolutionary, but I think that's what's really needed to help kickstart a lot of these projects through, which ultimately then means it doesn't matter as much if some of the older projects are going slow and eventually don't happen because the projects behind can have the confidence that whatever happens, it will still be a decent project and they can still connect. Yeah, re re really good request there, Philip. Um, and I, I think seeing, seeing having some of those, you know, th th these are quite sort of far reaching reforms in many ways, uh, and it would be great to see some of these uh, start to take shape um, over the next year or so. Um, I think we're nearly there in terms of uh, the last couple of presents. Uh, so I'm going to go for my third one before I go to Philip for the last one. Um, in my third present for Christmas, I'd like to see the the progress of the DSO, the distrib distribution system operator model come forward, um, uh, sort of leaps and bounds in 2023. I think the, the opportunities that there are with that uh, to, to help in the way that batteries are assessed and modeled, um, the, the visibility and control that DNOs have um, over the batteries um, to then free them up to, to make um, slightly uh, more relaxed decisions, knowing that they can then control uh, and even constrain off those uh, generators and batteries that come on the system. I think that's really going to help um, unlock uh, some of these blockages that we're seeing and that we've talked about um, on the podcast. So I think that would be one of my requests is seeing seeing that DSO sort of model uh, really progress through in uh, 2023. Um, so Philip, I'm just going to come to you for the last one. And I know uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot together and the, the industry has talked a lot about how um, transmission reinforcements are charged. Uh, so ha have you got any thoughts around um, transmission reinforcement charging, um, especially for embedded customers and distribution systems and, and uh, how how that might improve the, the, any, any changes you'd like to see on that front in 2023? Agreed. I think there's currently a disparity between infrastructure sites and customer GSPs at the moment, whereas customers applying to infrastructure sites know that their risk is moderated. It knows that they ultimately they won't pay for any of those new assets that may well be needed at those sites, whereas some customers applying to customer GSPs can be lab or ladled with Herculean costs and also the securities to go with them including in some areas where actually the works are needed for multiple different reasons. I can understand why the UK may not want to have very large GSPs in very remote areas where they will be pure generation only assets. But in some aspects, these assets will be needed for demand customers, for generation customers, new GSPs will be needed. And it makes sense for those costs to be sensibly shared across sites, um, which is not currently done. It's another big market reform, but I really think it would be for the benefit for the whole of UK if it was sensibly looked at and a better solution than today existed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think maybe Philip and Nikki both chip in if you've got any thoughts on this, but I think the the the, the really significant super grid transformer costs uh, that we're seeing at the moment on, on those customer sites, those connection asset uh, grid supply points that you were talking about, Philip, so some of those costs are really high, aren't they, in terms of the, the cost that customers are picking up uh, towards transmission reinforcements. I mean, have you got any sort of 
examples that you can think of off the top of your head as to the sorts of um, significant issues that customers are facing? So um, I've, with these I've sorts got of costs? a great example that I'm currently working on at the moment where we have a project where as a result of batteries contributing to a demand compliance issue um, at a customer GSP, the total works requirement is 24 million pounds with the customer contributing multi-million pounds towards changing four different SGTs for bigger units. And this is being triggered on the fact that at the moment, the transmission network owner is and the ESO is modeling battery storage, contributing towards peak demand, which is driving the change. It also has a tertiary on there, which makes it more complicated as well. This is one example where very good projects could be blocked and whilst it looks incredibly likely that battery storage will be modeled as having a zero import zero export point of view we're still waiting for the final written confirmation that national group will proceed with that there's still that period of uncertainty going into 2023 where good projects will have securities for works that they will then have to hope will be withdrawn within the next quarter one quarter two of 2023 and all projects will be waiting on bated breath for that to happen. That's just one example. Another example would be of another GSP where a third supergrid transformer is definitely needed for both demand reasons, for generation reasons, but the ED2 requirements pigeonhole to one specific triggering project, and ultimately it's not the best holistic design for the UK. Ah, yeah, great examples, and you know, clearly some customers with some very significant uh, charges and, and and works that they're that they're sitting with. So, um, okay, so Philip and Nikki are going to give you one more chance. Have you got any more Christmas presents before we finish the list? Stick the list in the envelope and send it to Network Santa. Any more any more Christmas presents that you'd like for next year? So I've got a bit of a bit bit of a different direction to go in. So. I spent quite a long time trying to get new electric vehicle charging connected to uh, to the network. Um, issue with that is that obviously this has to follow demand. So a lot of the time when we're looking at where to put a solar park or a battery, it's where is the grid and, and what's the best utilisation uh, in terms of grid infrastructure that we have. But for electric vehicle charging, we have to look at where this is actually needed and then try and sort of shoehorn the grid into actually into actually working. When you've got really remote locations like uh, like motorway service stations, for example, um, this is very, very challenging or where you've got, um, you know, quite rural locations as well. So uh, Wales, Scotland, Cornwall, etc. where you know, a lot of people will go on holiday, but there's a, a significant lack of, of EV charging. So we've got the significant code review um coming in uh, next april so that is um that, so we're doing some uh, some webinars on that if anyone would like to listen to those um, but that essentially means that uh, distribution assets um, will be partly socialized so new distribution reinforcement assets will be socialized however this doesn't cover extension assets uh, which is essentially new cabling so we had something called the green recovery project uh, the green recovery fund uh, come in a couple of years ago and the idea of this was that it would actually fund um, shovel-ready uh, projects that didn't have a grid connection. Uh, to be honest, this was probably a little bit naive in the first place, uh, because I've never met anyone that has a shovel-ready project that can't get a grid connection. Um, but this was quite positive because it actually funded uh, new cabling going into the ground, which is essential for actually getting to these remote locations. Um, it was, however, not it kind of kind of like a like a lot of government schemes. It had a, an unrealistic time limit 
So it only was a the funding was only there for a couple of years. Um, it was quite unclear guidance, in my opinion. The DNOs um, interpreted it in lots of different ways. So it, it wasn't really done as well as it could have been. And what, what I would really like is is something like a green recovery too, but done better with industry feedback um, to make sure that that's actually implemented much more effectively than the first one was uh, in order to, uh, to support extension assets uh, as opposed to just reinforcement to make sure that we're really getting that infrastructure where it's needed. Well, fantastic. I, I have to say that um, for the network companies listening to you, Nikki, they might be saying, not another green recovery. It was awful the first time round. Uh, I know because I was there and doing it. Uh, yeah. However, if, if, our, if our other Christmas presents come true and the DNOs get more resources and more staff, then um, they, they would perhaps find it a, a good and enjoyable exercise as well. Um, OK, I think our Christmas list is stuffed in the envelope. It's it's been... Can I have one more on the Christmas lift? Is that okay? If that's okay. One more. Okay, we'll have to write it on the back of the envelope now because the, the envelope's <laughs> been licked and sealed down. So we're going to put this as PS on the back of the envelope. So one of the slightly more alternative ones I would like to include, there's a very last PS on the back of the envelope that goes off to Network Santa. A general theme of what we see is that everything becoming more complicated, everything becoming more difficult, more nuanced, which is obviously something that Road Knight Taylor can help with, and we do, and we really help our customers to try and extract as much value as possible. I would like to see the network operators and the regulators try and keep things as simple as it can, because I think ultimately customers should have to come to Road Knight Taylor for the really difficult requirements, for the really extreme cases, rather than us having to help on every single case. So I think it's a realization that, yes, we need to be more clever in how we think about things and systems and processes need to improve, but making applications, making sure things are as transparent and easy as possible for general Joe blogs to try and have a go at being able to do things and get the right answer. And only where it's really difficult does it then bring in the requirement for people like myself, Nikki, Pete and Catherine at Road Knight Taylor, who can help resolve the really tricky issues. So I'd like to try and keep a focus on keeping the applications, the processes, the information as simple and transparent as possible to try and help accelerate the industry as much as possible, because there's a shortage of really good people. and We need to make sure that we're focused on the really tricky projects rather than on every project. Super. I think we just about managed to squeeze that on the back of the envelope then, Philip. So, OK, it's, it's posted and we will wait and see what um, Network Santa brings us next year. Um, so I think that's that's all for this uh, this podcast episode. So I want to say thank you to Philip and Nikki uh, for joining me on this podcast and uh, thank you for listening and we hope that you join us for some future episodes. Thanks, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk link in the description where you can also sign up to our free connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections if during this podcast you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a road knight taylor connectologist in your life please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too